All right, well, if you have your Bibles, we are in Genesis chapter 13 this morning, and we're going to work through the entire chapter this morning. But uh, don't worry, we'll be out in time for lunch. But uh, looking forward to um, this, this message this morning. And let's begin with verses 1 through 4. So Abram went from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot with, went with him into Negev, or some of your Bibles may say Negev. <clears throat> now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. And he journeyed from the Negev as far as Bethel, to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Abram is retracing his steps back to Canaan. Uh, If you were here last week, um, you know that uh, Abram was, um, was harshly spoken to by uh, a, a, an idolatry-worshipping Pharaoh. And the reason why he was spoken to so harshly is because Abram had lied to Pharaoh. He had told Pharaoh, or told his um, attendants, that, uh, that Sarai was his uh, sister. She wasn't his sister. She was his wife. She may have been his half-sister, but... Uh, even a half-truth is a lie. And Pharaoh knew it, and uh, after uh, there was this great plague that came over Pharaoh and his household, he saw that, uh, that Sarah, Sarai was the only one that wasn't affected by this plague. And so something was up. He went to Sarai, and Sarai spilt the beans and said, No, uh, I am not. Pharaoh, I am not Abram's sister, I am his wife. And very irate, uh, we see Pharaoh going to Abram and uh, confronting Abram, saying, what have you done? You have lied to me. Be removed from this place. Leave Egypt. You are not welcome here. And so Abram, with his tail between his legs, is heading back to Canaan. And um, the Bible says in uh, verse um, 2, Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. Now, Abram is a rich man at this point. And uh, we see that word rich in uh, chapter or chapter 13 verse 2 and in the hebrew that means heavy we also see uh in in uh, chapter 12 verse 10 that there was a severe uh there was a famine that was severe in the land now that word severe is the same hebrew word for rich and so here we see 
um, that this heaviness um, that he's rich isn't doesn't necessarily mean success at this point. Um, it 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 really means that uh, Abram has a lot of stuff. Abram has a lot of responsibility. But again, Abram is rich, and uh, we have seen from Genesis chapter 12 that this was one of the promises of God to Abram, that he was going to bless Abram. And so in, in spite of Abram's sinfulness, his lack of faith, we see a covenant God fulfilling his end of the covenant. He is going to continue to bless Abram. Church, that is only the grace of God. And all of us here in this room, online, in the dining hall, we can testify to the grace of God in our life as well, in spite of the disobedience that takes place. Now, when it comes to disobedience and God has continued to pour out his grace upon our life, that doesn't mean that we've gotten away with something. Okay? There are consequences to our disobedience. There's consequences to our sin, and we're going to see that today in this passage of Scripture. But when Abram leaves Egypt, he leaves Egypt a far wealthier man. And uh, this prefigures what's going to happen to the children of Israel in Exodus chapter 12. We're familiar with that story where uh, the children of Israel have been in uh, bondage uh, under the pharaohs for centuries, and uh, God is getting ready to... uh, to set them free from underneath uh, Pharaoh, and he sends ten plagues. Well, by the time the tenth plague comes along, the people of uh, Egypt uh, are ready to see this. these people leave. Uh, they've lost their firstborn sons in the tenth plague, and uh, Moses told the children of Israel to go to the Egyptians and ask for gold and silver and jewelry. And and Moses says that when you do, they are going to lavish you. They are going to give you their treasures. And the reason why they're giving them, the Israelites, the treasures is they want these people gone, okay? And maybe by giving them their treasures, uh, the gods will be appeased and uh, there won't be any more plagues. But uh, that is exactly what took place. And so as Moses reiterates, shares this story with the Israelites for the very first time and having experienced what uh, God did in, in Egypt with the Israelites, they're going to see, wow, that's what happened to our father Abraham in Genesis chapter three, 13. So this prefigures what is going to take place in, in Egypt uh, many years later. 
And so here we see in verse 4, um, the Bible says, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. So he's back in Canaan. He's, uh, he's between Bethel and Ai where he uh, originally built an altar, uh, an encounter, a reminder of uh, his encounter with the Lord. And that's where we see Abram again. And he is looking, he is asking God for a fresh start. He has gotten off track, but now he's come back home. And he wants God to work in his life once again. And church... That's where we all are from time to time, aren't we? We get off off track. You know, we've made uh, these spiritual commitments to the Lord, and uh, we're we're uh, we're serious about those commitments. But then a storm will come into our life, and we'll get distracted. Uh, we'll we'll um, uh, get sidetracked and disillusioned in our walk with the Lord and we've wandered away from the faith. What do we do at that point? We retrace our steps. We get back to the altar where we've called upon the name of the Lord and we repent We tell God, God, we are sorry. Ask for his forgiveness. And then we worship again. And that's where we see Abram in this passage of scripture. He he begins to worship the Lord. And so uh, in chapter 13, we, we see Abram living a life of worship. He's gotten away from it. He's come back home. He's come back to Bethel. And he worships. And by the time we finish in verse 18 this morning, uh, he's going to build another our altar in uh, Hebron. So this whole story is clothed in authentic worship. And church, that's where we need to be. We can't afford to be living our relationship with the Lord in the past tense. You know, that uh, we talk about what God used to do in our life. No, we need to be current in our faith. And what is God doing in our life today? It's not a relationship of past tense. It is present tense. And Abram went back home. And he worshiped. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, guess what? There is always a home to go back to. If you've wandered from the faith and you're like Abram with your tail between your legs, guess what? There's a God on the front porch 
waiting for you to come home. Just like we read about the prodigal uh, son and the father in the gospel. And so my question to you this morning is, where are you? Is God calling you back to your Bethel if you've wandered from the faith? Well, that's what's happened in Abram's life. Now let's look at verses 5 through 7. And Lot, who went with Abram, talking about to Egypt, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great, and they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So Abram's gone back home. He's recommitted his, uh, his walk with the Lord. And guess what happens? There's another test. We talked about tests last week. We talked about the fact that uh, God, Abram had, uh, had worshipped the Lord. He had come into the land of, 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 of Canaan, and uh, he had had an encounter with God saying, Abram, you have arrived. I am going to bless you. This is your land. He was on a spiritual high. And then we see that there was a famine in the land. And it was not just any famine. It was a severe famine. And Abram panicked. And without seeking the Lord in the test, Abram just decided on his own that Egypt was the place to be. So here we see in this passage of scripture, Abram's back home. He's recommitted his life to the Lord. And guess what happens? There's another test. Friends, there are always going to be tests. You can't get rid of them. Just like the dandelions in your yard, you can't get rid of of tests. So be prepared. They're coming. And we learn this, we see this in the life of Abram. God has blessed Abram. Um, we see that he promised Abraham, Abram in chapter 12, verse 3. Uh, God has given him riches. We learn in chapter 13, verse 6, that uh, the that they're so rich that the land could not support both Abram and Lot in dwelling together. For their possessions were so great, they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen, herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Let me just mention this about riches. Church, riches are not a sin. Okay? Riches, money, is neutral 
in the scripture. But it's what we do with money that it can lead to evil. The Bible says the love of riches or the love of money is the root of all evil. This is what First Timothy, this is what Paul says in First Timothy chapter 6, 6 through 10. You can turn there. I want to encourage you to do that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So we must be careful in concerning money. It can't control us. We must control it. We, We can... There's many blessings that we can uh, provide in other people's lives through, through riches, through money. And we see in this passage of scripture that um, Abram wasn't controlled by his riches. Now, Lot, that's another matter. Uh, Lot was, uh, when we're going to see this in a moment, he was um, looking to himself, but not Abram. But uh, we must be careful when it comes to riches, it is not the answer to everything. We've heard stories about lottery winners, haven't we? Did you know that seventy uh, percent of people who win the lottery have lost all of it in five years or less? Seventy percent. Uh, they they don't know how to. Um, to handle money. Many of those winners, we've learned, struggle with suicide, depression, and divorce. It has ruined many people's lives. And that's what riches, that's what wealth, that's what stuff can do. It can create a whole lot of conflict, a whole lot of heartache. And that's what we see in this passage of scripture. There is conflict because Abram's family and Lot's family, those, their possessions, they could not dwell in the same land together. So here we have this conflict, but this is what I want us to, um, to uh, remember this morning as Abram deals with this conflict. Abram has the right attitude this time, okay? In the last test, he wasn't asking God for wisdom. He was just trying to figure it out on his own. But now, Abram has a heart of worship. 
And so that is going to help him in resolving this conflict. And then he says that Moses says this in verse um, 7. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. So here's this family. They're in conflict with one another. And the Bible says the world is watching. What kind of testimony are they going to be to the Canaanites and the Parasites? And that's an important question to ask. But there's a bigger question to ask. Not only is the world watching, but church, God is watching. And how are we going to conduct ourselves? Uh, how are we going to respond rather than react in this conflict? Let's move on. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. What does Abram do? Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. And if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. I want us, want us to see the generosity of Abram. It's a 180 from last week. Last week, Abram was only thinking of himself. But in chapter 13, because Abram is now living a life of worship, He's not thinking of himself. He's thinking of others. He is he is living in the light of God's promises for his life. Abraham's been told in chapter 12, verse 7, that this land is his. And he is believing God. He is living by faith. And he's choosing to have the attitude of Christ. Now, Christ hasn't come on the scene yet, okay? This isn't until 2,000 years later. But we learn of Christ's attitude in coming to the earth in Philippians chapter 2. This was Jesus' attitude in verses 4 through 8 of Philippians 2. These are Paul's words. He says, let each of you not only let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others this is what abram's doing have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of god did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The Bible says that you and I were enemies of God. And Christ took the initiative. He left heaven's throne and didn't wait for us to repent. But while we were uh, enemies, while we were still living in our sin, Christ took the initiative and he died for our sin. He made the sacrifice that our relationship with him could be redeemed. That was Christ's attitude. Abram doesn't know this yet, but Abram, to resolve this conflict, he took the higher road. And he gave Lot first dibs. He said, Lot, look around. You choose where you want to go with your possessions. That's how you resolve conflict. Not thinking more of yourself, but thinking about the other person. And when both parties have that Attitude, things get resolved. Now, with Abram, he was only in that camp. Lot wasn't thinking about Abram. Lot was only thinking about himself. But, and yet, God provided. So, we see the generosity of Abram in verses 8 and 9. Now, let's look at verses 10 through 13. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 11, so Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus, they separated from each other. And Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now, the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. I want you to see Lot's heart condition. Lot is living by, by sight and not faith like Abram did in, in, as Abram had responded in chapter 12. That's what we see in Lot's life right now. Lot's not prayed to the Lord as to where the Lord thinks he should go. No, he's just thinking of himself what looks good with his eyes. And the Bible says in verse 10 that what looks good to him also contains the cities of Sodom 
and Gomorrah. Verse 10, we see in parentheses there that, um, that this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. What that means, church, Sodom and Gomorrah already had a very seedy reputation. Verse 13 says that, that the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. That was the reputation of Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and yet, Sodom's reputation intrigued Lot rather than repulsed him. For the Bible says that he moved his tent as far as Sodom. What that means is that he pinched, he pinched, pitched his tent towards Sodom and every time he moved his tent, he moved it constantly nearer to Sodom. That was Lot's heart. If you go to chapter 14, verse 12, and we're going to get there next week, but we see that he's not outside uh, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah now. No, he's inside. He is living inside the city in verse 12. And one of these days we're going to get to chapter 19, verse 1. And not only is Lot living inside the city, but in 19, verse 1, the Bible says that Lot is sitting at the gate of the city. And what that means that is that Lot is now one of the leaders of, of, of the city. Lot has issues. He's living in the flesh. But it's amazing what the New Testament says. What Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 6, verse 9. The Bible, Peter describes Lot as a righteous person. Look at verse 6 of 2 Peter 2. Verses 6 through 9. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. You know, before Lot was rescued in Sodom and Gomorrah, Peter says that his righteous soul was tormented. Lot had the attitude, how close can I get to sin without sinning? 
And that's not the question we need to be asking ourselves. The question we need to be asking ourselves is how far can I get away from sin? But that was not Lot's heart. My friend, you can't love the world and the Lord and it go well. That's what Lot tried to do. And even though he was righteous, even though he was living a life that was forgiven, there were still consequences to his sinful choices. We're going to see that in chapter 19 when God rescues Lot and his family. The consequences for Lot's life were that he lost his wife. She, she looked back as she was leaving the city. The Bible says she turned to a pillar of salt. She still had desires for the city that she was leaving. Lot's daughters did not marry well. They ridiculed the angels that had come into the city and, and, and were there to rescue Lot's family. So Lot's curiosity of wanting to get as close to sin as possible cost Lot his family. Let that be a warning to us, church. If we're going to live for ourselves, and wanting to be as friendly to the world as we possibly can, there are going to be consequences with that that kind of lifestyle. God calls us to be holy, to live holy lives. And so we see Lot making incredibly poor choices. My question to you this morning is, Where are you? Are you living a life of worship? Are you living a life that wants to be pleasing to God? Living a life of faith? Or are you living by sight? And trusting in your riches and what you can provide for your family. And trying to figure it out on your own. Rather than seeking the Lord and asking the Lord, God, what would you have me to do? Now let's come to we come to verses fourteen through eighteen. We're just about done. Verse fourteen. Then the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length 
and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. God took Abram on a real estate faith tour. He told Abram, Abram, look up. I want you to, as far as you can see to the north and the south and the east, and the east being where Lot went, Abram, that's going to be your land as well, and to the west, as far as you can see, Abram, this is going to be your land. And we see Abram believing. We see him walking by faith. God tells Abram, Abram, descendants are coming. And they're going to be more numerous than the dust on the ground. In chapter 15, God's going to tell Abram, Abram, your descendants are going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And so whether Abram's looking, walking and looking on the ground or he's looking to the sky, he's reminded of the promise of God in his life. Descendants are coming. And he doesn't have one descendant right now. It's not Lot. That's his nephew. In fact, when Abram dies, he's only going to have one descendant. But God sees far beyond Abram's life. And God honors, fulfills his promise in Abram's life. And yet Abram is believing. And so my my encouragement to you is as you walk this life of faith, as you're trusting God with your life, it's not just about your life here and now or the number of years of your... We're talking about your descent, the impact that your life, your walk of faith can have upon your children, your grandchildren, and your great-grandchildren. Abram's not going to see these things. When Abram dies, you know what? He's still living in a tent. He hasn't acquired this land. And yet God is going to fulfill that promise. And that's how God wants us to live our lives. He says, Abram, I'm going to give you descendants. And I'm going to give you this land that is going to last forever. I am going to do this, Abram. And so what does Abram do? He builds another altar. And he worships. Going through a test right now? God's encouragement to you this morning is live a life of worship. Trust him. Walk by faith 
and not by sight. When we're walking by faith, when we're living a life of worship, guess what? We'll pass the test. And there are always going to be tests that come into our life. Abram passed this test. He doesn't pass all of them. We're going to see more failures in Abram's life, just like what happens in ours. But if you've got conflict in your life right now, the best way for you to resolve that conflict is live a life of worship. Trust the Lord. Live a life of sacrifice. Think of the other person before you think of yourself. And God will honor that. Lot was only looking at what was seen. There's no indication of any altars in Lot's life. Lot was never satisfied. He was constantly moving closer and closer to sin. And we see the consequences of that, of those choices in his life. Lot loses. Even though he's a righteous person, Lot suffered great loss. God cares about how you handle conflict. I don't like conflict. And I don't do a very good job at it often. But God's desire for my heart and for your hearts is to be right with him. And when we're right with him, when we're walking by faith and not by sight, we, disp- we can respond in a Christ-like manner. And that's what Abram did. And my prayer for you is that's what God will do in your life as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the cross. I thank you for, for how Christ, Jesus, how you showed us to resolve conflict. We were in conflict with you. And yet, Christ, you unconditionally showed your great love for us in that while we were still rebellious, thinking of ourselves, enemies of you, Jesus, you died. You made that great sacrifice all because of your grace. Father, I pray that if there's one here this morning who has never come to the altar, sought your forgiveness, trusted and what you did for them and believe that God, when we call upon you, believing that you died for our sin and 
rose from the grave three days later that we can be saved. If they've never made that decision, Lord, may today be the day of their salvation. Lord, I know that there's others who are here in this place or watching online. And, and Lord, there's great conflict in their heart and in relationships with others right now. God, I pray that through Abram's example, through Christ's example, that they would think of others more importantly than themselves. And both parties would have that attitude. And there would be great reconciliation. And Jesus, you would be glorified through the, the conflict that has originated, the test that's come into our lives. That Satan wouldn't get the glory, but that Jesus would get the glory. Father, thank you for your word for your promises. Help us to trust you each and every moment of every day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.